So we're in this series called Grace Poured Out. It's a series that was birthed out of one verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, uh, in, in, in reading of Scripture through life journaling that just really spoke to me, that I want to talk to you about this issue of just grace. And today we're talking about this grace busters. We're talking about grace destroyers in life. Because when I talk to Christians and when I talk to people, I realize a lot of times we may not really understand what is grace. What is grace? What is meant by grace? And I'm telling you, there's a lot of times believers do not live in freedom because they limit God's grace in their life. And what I mean by that is this. There are some people that don't really believe that God has forgiven them at the depths that he's forgiven them. And so when they come to this issue of grace, they limit God's grace in their life. It may be because of shame in their life. It may be because of past sin in their life. It may be, uh, may be a religious background. It may be something that someone spoke into their life that God could never forgive you or God could never, never really love you. It could come, it come from self. It can come from so many different directions. But there are some people that have trouble with this issue of grace, have trouble with this issue of being totally and completely forgiven, totally and deeply loved by God. In Christ, you are totally loved by him. In Christ, you are totally forgiven. In Christ, you, you have been totally set free and to live life in freedom. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Galatians. As we look at the subjects of grace destroyers in your life or grace busters in your life. Again, this, this series came out of one verse. Here's our focal verse, Ephesians 1, 6. So we praise God for his glorious grace. He has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. That word poured in the Greek means to dump. It means to pour. I mean, it is a continuous, continual flow. It is not a sprinkling. It is not, a, it is not like rain, where you have a rainy season and you have a dry season. It is limitless. It is unlimited. When you look at the Greek, you realize that he is continually grace upon grace, grace piled up on grace, that he is continually pouring out grace on you. And as believers, we're supposed to receive his grace. And guess what? We're to let it flow. When we receive his grace, we let it flow out of our lives to others. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he writes about this subject. And here's what he says. But God is so rich in mercy. And we're going to understand the difference between mercy and grace. What is mercy and what is grace? And he says, but God is so rich in mercy. And he has loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace, his kindness towards us, and has shown us in all he has done for us we, who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I'm telling you, for the believer, we have to understand what is grace and, and what does grace look like. Now, mercy and grace, two different things. Scripture talks about that. Mercy is this. Mercy is not getting the bad things that we deserve. 
Mercy is not getting the bad things we deserve. Grace is getting the good things we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the bad things that we really deserve. Grace is getting the good things that we don't deserve. Maybe we could illustrate it like this. If, if I'm on death row and, and I'm waiting execution and all of a sudden the warden comes in and says, we've decided to let you go. That'd be mercy. And as I'm walking out of the gates, as I'm walking out of the door, and the warden hands me a million-dollar check, that is grace. If I'm playing golf with my buddies, and I hit a ball behind a tree, and they allow me to use a foot wedge and kick the ball out onto the fairway, that is mercy. If they don't put the stroke on my scorecard, that is grace. <laughs> See, listen, grace is more than I forgive you. See, grace is way more than I forgive you. And this sometimes is where we have the, this is where we have the struggle. Grace is more than I forgive you. Grace is I forgive you. Oh, and I want to bless you. Grace is I forgive you. And I'm not going to put it on your scorecard of life. Then I'm going to remove that sin from your life. I mean, when you look at this issue of grace, it is the grace of God, understanding the grace of God that creates a passion or devotion for him. I wonder if that's why some Christians live a life, a Christian life, without any passion for Christ. Because they really don't understand the depths of the, the grace of God. Maybe the reason that we struggle with some of our commitments is we really don't understand how much he has forgiven us. See, when you and I understand the depths of grace, it brings freedom to the soul. It brings freedom to, to, to the depths. I mean, it brings freedom to let others just be themselves. It brings freedom to where you don't have to be critical of one another. It brings freedom to where you don't have to carry guilt. It brings freedom to where you understand that, you know what? I don't have to earn favor with God. I don't have to work for my salvation. That, that he, he loves me and it's, it's unconditional. See, it, it, it's grace that understands that, that I love God with all of my heart. Not to earn his love because I've already received his unconditional love. It is this grace in Ephesians 1.6 that Paul talks about that is reserved for believers, that is reserved for people that have come into relationship with, with Christ. See, God doesn't say that I love you because... I love you if, I love you since, I love you when, I love you after, I love you only, I, own you, I love you provided, I love you presuming. Any of those statements would make his love conditional. In, in other words, it would mean this. It would mean that his love is caused by something in us, our goodness, our attractiveness, or our performance. And that also would mean there is something that I could do to keep God from loving me. There is something that I could do to get God to stop loving me. But God's love is unconditional. It's not conditional. God, listen, God's love, okay, Ephesians 1, 6, grace poured out. So God's love is an action towards us, not a reaction to us. God's love, grace poured out, is, is, is an action towards us based upon him, based upon his character, based upon his love, not a reaction to us. In other words, his love for us does not depend on what we are, but who he is. 
His love for me and his love for you is because he loves us unconditionally. And grace is a wonderful thing. Fact is, all the way through the Bible you see is grace. Now this morning I want to give you quickly, we're going to walk through these. Some we're going to touch on and some we're going to settle in on. I want to give you six things or that are grace destroyers in life, are the things that, that limit grace in believers' lives. I could have done this a two-part and spent a lot of time on each, but I want to do this. I wanted you to understand all six this morning because I, I really want us to understand what it means to be set free and have freedom in life. Okay, first grace destroyer, first grace buster is this. When I turn to the gospel of good works, why is it so many times that we have, we have, it's easy for us to understand that salvation is by faith alone. And then we quickly revert into works and I got to earn it and I got to deserve it. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 1, 6, he said, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way. In other words, you're following a false gospel. You're following a different gospel that pretends to be good news. In other words, there are some people that tell you a false gospel and it sounds like it's good news and it's not. It's legalism, it's rules, it's regulations, it's, it's, it's religion. It's this issue of you've got to earn God's favor and there's some things that you can do to earn his love and there's some things that you can do to, to get him to quit loving you. And what was happening there in Galatia is this, is that they were, they were making the gospel hard for people to turn to Christ with rules and regulations. And Paul is like shocked. I mean, he like telling them or they're telling people that there's something that, that you must do. There's something you must perform. There's must, something that you, that you must work. There's, there's mu something that you must do to get God's love or to get God to be pleased more with you. But again, Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is, it's a gift. You can't earn a gift, right? It is a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Listen, the gospel of good works is a false gospel. The gospel of good works will destroy you. It will destroy the soul. There will be no freedom in your life. The gospel of good works is guilt-laden. The second thing is this. It will destroy grace in your life is this is when I turn to the approval of man instead of the approval of God. When I put man over God, when I care more what man thinks of me rather than what God thinks of me, it will, it will destroy grace in your life. And it will take freedom out of your life. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, and he writes these words. He says, obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of, of people, but of God. If I were uh, pleasing people, if, if pleasing people were my goal... I would not be Christ's servant. I mean, I'm telling you, the need to seek approval, the need for people around you to say, you're okay, you're accepted, and all those other things will destroy grace out of your life. Listen, it's just biblical principle. Whatever you fear, you'll worship. Okay? So if you fear, if you have been rejected in your past, if you haven't received acceptance in your past, and you fear being rejected again, or you fear someone not accepting you again, what you fear you will worship. And you will begin to worship the acceptance and the approval of people. And you will do all kinds of things that may humiliate you, that you know are not right, that you really don't want to do, because what you fear you worship. And you'll do anything you can to gain the approval 
are the acceptance of people. That's why the scripture tells us to fear God and to worship him. That when you have a healthy fear of God and you understand that, then it's natural to, to worship him to where you understand that God is the source and everything else is, is a resource. The third thing that if you're not careful, that creeps into your life that will destroy grace in your life or be a grace buster is this, is when I allow myself to live by man-made rules. In other words, trying to live by man's formulas or man's religion. There's, a, there's an interesting statement, and I'm so sorry. This is, I don't even have it in your notes, and, and right now I cannot even remember the, the reference. I, I'll narrow it down to you, for you. It's in the book of Romans. <laughs> so that's about as close as I can get. But the scripture says, therefore, do not let any man judge you. Or do not let anyone, some translations say, do not let anyone judge you. So what does that mean? Well, that obviously means people will judge you, right? I mean, any of us that have lived long enough, we know that. We know that people are going to judge you. Uh, we know people are going to judge a sermon or judge a person or judge actions or anything like that. And so well, what does that mean? It means this, that people are going to judge you. But then what does it mean that don't let anyone judge you? It means this. If you allow someone to judge you, it will haunt you. And it will take up residence in your mind. And it will affect you. And it will bother you. And then it begins to affect your response to God. And if you're not careful, if you allow people to judge you, and I'm not talking about uh, not having close relationships around you that can hold you accountable and speak truth into your life. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about when people judge you, that it will affect your mind. And it will soon affect the way you respond to God. His gracious gift of, of love and grace and it will affect you, and it will become your problem. I mean, if someone decides to judge you, that's, that's their problem. But don't let man judge you. You don't have to please man. Samuel Johnson once said this, God does not propose to judge a man until his life is over. Why should I? Colossians 2.16 says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or, 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 or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Let me explain to you what's going on in the context of that verse. The fact is, you can see Galatians, and you can see Ephesians, and you see Colossians, and they're just great books about God's grace, and God's grace into churches, and God's grace in, into people. And you see, Galatia, when this verse was written, um, or Colossa, uh, when this verse was written to those churches there, they were just a few centuries away from Judaism. And all of a sudden, these churches are trying to go back to man-made rules, and they were trying to go back to religion and rules, and regulations, and legalism, and so they're talking, do, do we worship God on Saturday? Do we worship Him on Sunday? Uh, what, what feast do we observe? What feast do we not observe? What about circumcision? What about acts? What about all these other things? What day is the Sabbath? And they begin having, and all of a sudden, they begin going back to legalism that, God, that Christ had set them free from, and Paul says, quit trying to please man. In fact, as he says in Colossians 2, uh, Colossians 2.20, he says, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? In other words, what Paul is saying, that if you're a Christ follower, then why are you in bondage? If you're a Christ follower, and he has truly set you free from the past, he has truly forgiven you, and you understand that, 
then why are you living in the bondage of legalism and rules and regulations? Listen, there's whole denominations that we know more about what they're against rather than what they're for. And I understand and I get it. There's a responsibility in life with limits as far as what we see and what we eat and what we drink and what we wear. And we should never allow the grace of God to be a license for sin. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you, make sure that you stay free because it's a job. And that's why life journaling, that's why reading scripture, that's why worship, that's why maturing in Christ is so important. Because if you're not careful, it will creep back into your life. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And Christ expected us and intended for us to live a life of, of freedom because it's, it's that freedom that Christ is, has set us free. The fourth grace buster in our life is this, is when I use grace as an excuse to sin. When I use the grace of God as an excuse to live with whoever I want to live with, do whatever I want to do, make decisions and actions and behaviors however I want, because after all, he's a gracious, gracious, loving God. He's kind of like the grandfather in the sky that says, ah, oh, it's okay. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. He says, he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Listen, in the Greek, that phrase, of course not, that is, that is on the verge of profanity in the Greek. I mean, it's, it's like Paul is appalled. Paul is shocked that there would be people that call themselves Christ followers in their time and say, you know what? Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter how I conduct my life. Doesn't matter my actions, my decisions, anything like that. Because guess what? When I sin, I'm just allowing God's grace to abound anymore. I mean, I'm just allowing him to show me more grace. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Galatians 6, 12, we just jumped down. Do not, sin, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Listen. Here a while back, I was watching, uh, a few years back, I'm watching a, a music award show. And so in the course of the show, some hip-hop guy comes out, and he did this. I mean, he did a raunchy dance. Um, he sang some lyrics that devalued women, seemed to encourage violence and racism and hatred and, and murder and abuse and all of that other stuff. I mean, it, it, was some, it was some pretty rough stuff. And then later on in the show, the guy gets an award. And so he walks up to the podium and he says, hey, the first thing I want to do, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, seriously? After, after that act? Well, after the show, uh, uh, a reporter caught up with him, stuck a mic in his face and asked him a question. He says, uh, you claim to be a Christian? He says, absolutely. I'm a Christ follower. He says, can I ask you a question? He said, absolutely. He says, how do you reconcile your faith in Christ with the dance you did and the lyrics you say? He goes, oh, that's easy. I don't allow my Christianity to change my act. But there's business people that claim to be Christ followers. And they say, it's not going to change my act. It's not going to change Monday through Friday. It's not going to change my business ethics. I'll do anything to cut a deal. Because the bottom line is profit. The bottom line is making money. There's business people that are in the workplace 
So my Christianity on the weekend is not going to change my act. It's not going to change the, the way I talk about people, how I conduct my life. It's politicians all the time. They claim to be Christ followers, and it doesn't affect the, the bills they put forth, the special interest groups they, they, they work with. and It doesn't affect the bills that they vote for and how they vote for them and their ethics and the agreements that they make. And to be really fair, there's churchgoers that have had this mystical experience in church. And they may have prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, got baptized, done some religious thing. It didn't change a thing about their life. It didn't change their attitude. It didn't change their actions. It didn't change their morality. It didn't change their faith. It didn't change their ethics. It didn't change the way they treat people. It didn't change their, their values. And Paul would say, you'll destroy your soul. And you'll never have peace. And it's no way to live. Galatians 5.13, Paul says, he says, for, for you have been called to live in freedom. You realize that, right? We have been called to live in freedom because we have been set free. We have been totally and completely forgiven. Grace upon grace. Grace piled up on grace. And don't use your freedom. So here we go. Don't use your freedom to satisfy sinful desires. Instead, use your freedom. So this is just so cool to me. How do you use your freedom? Serve one another in love. You can, you, can, you can use any Bible software. You can search on this for yourself. Uh, there's 56 one another commands in the, in the New Testament. And we're to love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, give to one another, disciple one another, minister to one another. All of those 56 commands can only be done in the context of the local church. That's why being a participator in church is so important. You cannot fulfill those 56 commands without being a participator in a local church. And Paul would say the way, that, the way that we receive grace, that God's grace is poured out on us, is the way we pour it out on others is one another. That we serve one another, we love one another, we encourage one another, we pray for one another. Jude 4, talking about this, says this, says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. In other words, saying the way you live doesn't matter. What you do Monday through Friday doesn't even matter. You don't even have to reconcile that with your faith. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. That we're forgiven, we'll live however we want. And the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for that they have denied our Master, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, when you look at Scripture, you realize that that living in sin is a dangerous thing. It cost a woman her life in 1 Corinthians 4 when the church gave approval to her lifestyle. It cost a couple their life in Acts when they lied to the, the Holy Spirit. And, and Jude 4 says what may happen, it may reveal to you that you're not a Christian at all when you justify some of those things. And See, it's the grace of God. I'm just telling you, the more that I, the more that I walk with Christ... It is the grace of God that calls me to a greater devotion to him. When I understand, and listen, I'm telling you, I had problems with this freedom stuff in my life. And when I understand the depths that he has forgiven me, 
and his love and his unconditional love, his love poured out on me, it causes me to live in greater devotion to him. I mean, I think it'd be, it'd be like this, that, that, that if, if you walked up to my wife and said, you know, Karen, uh, that's my wife's name, uh, uh, you know, Karen, we saw Charlie coming out of a questionable establishment, a place that a Christian husband should not go. Well, she would, she would laugh you to shame because she would know that's not a place that I go. But because my wife loves me unconditionally and because she trusts me and because she believes in me, then does that give me the right to take advantage of her? Because she'll never check up on me so I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want because of her love and her devotion and her unconditional love. Absolutely not. But people do that to God every day uh, uh, in this world. That I'm telling you that there is greater devotion when you and I understand what he has forgiven us of and the freedom that we have, that we are loved and he places us in a family and he places us in a church that where we are trusted, where we have a heavenly father. Listen, a grace buster in your life and my life is when you don't understand the grace that he has given you. And a grace buster is when someone has never really repented of their sin and they continually go on and say, it doesn't matter what I do and it doesn't matter how, how I live. Listen, it's dangerous for a few things because one thing is it will eventually destroy your life. And the other thing is it may in fact, your lifestyle may in fact prove that you really don't have a relationship with Christ if there's no conviction of sin in your life. A fifth grace buster is this, is when I refuse to forgive someone. Maybe a huge one for many of us this morning. But when I refuse, listen, when I refuse to forgive someone, it will destroy grace in your life. You will not be able to live in freedom. Hebrews 2.15, only in this way could, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Listen, I'm telling you, especially this last week, walking through my dad's funeral and, and helping the family uh, mourn through that whole thing, I really kept thinking about this. As a believer, we don't fear death. But what we should fear is, is living an unproductive Christian life. What we should fear is, is not living a life that is radically sold out to him to where our life actually counts for Christ. And so when you walk through this and you walk through this verse and you realize that God doesn't deprive anyone of his grace, then how can someone miss the grace of God? How can someone not accept his grace? And the reality of this truth sometimes makes religious folks uncomfortable. Romans 5, 7 says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, get that, while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to straighten up our life. He didn't wait for us to clean up our life. He comes in our life to straighten it up. He comes in our life to clean it up. Christ died for us. So Christ died for the one that is very far away from God. Christ died for the murderer. Christ died for the thief. Christ died for the man that hits his wife. Christ died for the man that lives in a refrigerator box under a bridge. Uh, Christ died for the rebellious teenager or the rebellious husband. Christ died for a rapist and a killer and a drug dealer and an adulterer and a, an abusive parent. Christ died for the one uh, that gossips and slanders. Oh, and Christ died for the one that you need to forgive. See, sometimes this upsets our spiritual apple cart. 
to think about the unlovable others in the context of this. But I've gone through scripture this last week and I'm here to tell you I found no spiritual loopholes that exclude certain people from Jesus' magnificent acts of grace. If this relationship that we claim to have with Jesus cannot generate peace inside the church, then what hope does it hold for those observing from afar? If I refuse, listen, if I refuse when grace is poured out on me, and if I refuse to let it flow and it becomes a stagnant, disease, contaminated, not a life-giving reservoir, and that unforgiveness stays in my heart, turns to bitterness that will grow up and res- it will destroy you and, and all of your relationships. R- refusing to forgive will ultimately destroy you. When I, when I was a kid, my, uh, my dad uh, took me to a, to a wrestling match. And so any of you that are in my generation, you remember the days we only had three channels. Remember that on TV? Uh, we only had three channels. We, we had four, but one was public TV. And that, you only watched that when you were punished. And so uh, remember that? At days before a remote control? Well, we had a remote. I was the remote. Son, change the channel. <laughs> and so we had a remote. And so Saturday night, Saturday night wrestling. You know, uh, and so, I mean, I love Saturday Night Wrestling. And that's back in the days in the 60s. And so that's back in the days it was really a sport. It was real. And so it wasn't like fake like today. And so, so in the 60s, uh, Eric Von Fritz and, and Joe Chandler, and remember that, and the Haymaker and all of those guys. And so my ga- dad got tickets, and we go to this, we go to this wrestling match. And, and, and I mean, we got front row seats. We got there early. We couldn't wait to get there. And so we're down the front row. And so... Uh, uh, Fritz, uh, the Fritz brothers were there, and, and Joe Ch- uh, Chambers was there, and some others were there, and, and, I, and I couldn't wait. And the big match was the one that I was waiting for. And these two guys, they went at it. I mean, and you can Google it if you want. Someone videoed it off a of black and white TV, and so you can see it for yourself. And so it was some rough stuff. And I mean, there was like trash talking, and they even drew some blood, and the referee tried to break up the fight a couple of times, and, and uh, they smashed a chair over him and didn't allow that to happen, and they broke chairs over each other and and finally someone won and we went nuts and I'm like on the front row and so I I wanted to see everything I wanted to see the conflict I wanted to see everything and so we stayed afterwards because I wanted some autographs from some of the guys and so I got some autographs not from the main event but I got some autographs and so my dad and I we were like the last ones to leave we're walking out of the car into the parking garage and we'd look down on a lower lower level and here come the two main event guys They're in street clothes. They've taken showers. They're almost walking arm in arm to their cars. That's when I realized this may not be real. And so (laughs) they're walking arm in arm. And I hear one guy say, hey, buddy, where are we meeting for dinner? I was crushed. (coughs) Don't you wish life was like that? To where we have conflict and we have conflict with one another. And then we resolve it. See, there's a bondage of unforgiveness. See, the bondage of unforgiveness is this. It shackles me to my offender. You'll drag your offender everywhere you go. (coughs) It it invites attacks from the enemy. It is destructive in every area of your life. It destroys grace in your life. It destroys, listen, destroys your soul. And let me tell you something. Forgiveness is a transaction (coughs) between you 
and God and not you and the offender. Reconciliation is a transaction between you and the one that offended you. Forgiveness is a transaction between you and God. Listen, let me tell you something. You know how you know you have forgiven someone? When you can recall them and you wish them well. When you call that person, when you can recall their face and you wish them well. See, forgiveness sets you free because it, it connects you with the gracious grace of God. It closes the door to the enemy. When I, when I release my offender, I liberate, liber, liberate myself. It, it allows me to live in freedom. One man once said that if we truly lived eye for an eye, we, then everybody in this world would be blind because none of us are perfect. Let me ask you, is there someone that you're unwilling to forgive? Last grace buster is this, <coughs> is when I, when I do not speak with grace. Ephesians 4.29, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everyone you say... You say, be good and help every, everything you say, be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And so scripture teaches us the one, one of the ways that, that we pour out grace on others is by the words that we say. So it, <coughs> I am so sorry. It is so interesting to me in this time that we live in that we are so worried about the words that we write on paper or a blog or the internet, that we may be held for liable. But why is it we don't care about the words we say? Grace poured out <coughs> is when we use words that are helpful for the building up of others. That's why Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 5.28, I leave you with this. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you.